You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday at 10.30 a.m. or 7 p.m. Why do we need a season of dialogue? I think it's because there's just a lot that we need to talk about. So much mutuality (laughs) to create. Mutuality, you know that word, right? Something is mutual when it's shared, when we hold it in common. As followers of Jesus, we want mutuality in all the parts of our lives. We want mutuality even like with creation. Jesus was saying the stones were crying out. And how does that work? We've got to talk about that too. We don't want to go it alone, make up our own mind, do it our own way. But also, we don't want to be forced to conform, be told what to think or told what to do either. So mutuality requires this kind of mutual submission, this kind of rumination, this, hey, we're going to do this together. I'm going to bring what I have and try to figure out how you might change me and how I might change you. How can we be of even one mind about things? So we're asking questions and we're we're talking about it because that's the direction we're headed. Even if we only get there when Jesus unites us in in the final day and says, oh, this is what it should be. In the meantime, we're trying to get there together. We're trying to have that mutuality. So ask questions. I, and, and have dialogue. That's our response in Circle of Hope. If you have a question that you want me to answer, uh, there's a, there are some cards on the back table, and you can drop them in the offering box back there, and I'll get them. Or you can send me an email, ben at circleofhope.net. So the question that we have this week is, what do we do with all the weird stuff Jesus says? Particularly Luke 14 26 through set 27. Will someone read that to us? This is weird. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Yes. Glad reading it with some fierceness, too. Yo, here's a question. Hey, Jesus, why are you so weird? Why are you guys say that weird stuff? You know, you could chalk this up to just, oh, Jesus is a weird dude. Um, he's, he's God and stuff. So, so just deal with it. But that could be an answer. When he says the weird stuff, you just have to accept it. Okay? Do you ever feel that way? I think the Bible is so weird. It's tempting to let it, like, all go way over my head. Do you feel that way? Oh, man. Bible? <laughs> Bible's a flying kite over my head. Uh, but the thing is, I don't actually think it is going over your head. Uh, the Bible is, isn't like so sophisticated and blissed out that, that you're a dum-dum if it confuses you. Like misunderstanding it or questioning it and it makes you like so unholy or something. You, you've gotten this script, right? Like asking a question about the Bible means that either you're um, just not smart enough, not holy enough, not something enough. Because you're just supposed to like get it, you know? Because Jesus said it. it. You know, it's got holy in the title. I better not mess with it. And by mess with it, usually means I'm just probably not going to read it. You know, I'm not even going to. I'm not even going to touch that thing. Just kind of leave it alone, uh, because it's all too good for me. Bible. That Jesus thing, he, he, he's too good for me, you know? I'm not good enough for the Bible. We get these scripts, they're wrong, okay? 
Bible isn't going over your head. I think the Bible is actually kind of going around your head. It's right at the exact same level, but the problem is, is that your head is firmly placed in the 21st century in Pensacola, New Jersey right now. Okay? And that's a major problem because the Bible is written in first century Palestine to people who are basically aliens. Okay? People from 20 centuries ago are unrecognizable. Not in their physicality, but like in the way that they think. If you talk to these folks, one, they speak a different language, you wouldn't be able to talk to them, unless some of you guys know Aramaic, this dead language. Um, but, but also, they, they just think so differently. So it's no wonder that it's confusing. It's no wonder that it, it feels like it's going over your head. But no, can we just agree that it's not going over your head, it's just going around your head. Your head's like in the wrong place. And by wrong, I just mean a different place. You can't get hit by the Bible so easily because you're just thinking differently. You can't think how you don't think. Okay? I'm letting you off the hook. The way you think is the way you think, and that is okay. Figuring out how to do the translation, figuring out how to change your mind is actually one of the really good reasons to read the Bible because um, I think everyone kind of thinks the same now. I think every, every, everyone has, a, has an idea that's informed by a lot of things that have happened in history, and, and we have a very kind of uh, similar way of thinking, as diverse as you all are. I'm saying like basic like logic, some big values that we have, especially people that, are, that all live in the same uh, general location, like maybe just the United States. But even people that live, like my friends that live in Mexico, we all have Facebook, you know? I, mean, I hang out with them online, and we, we watch the same Netflix shows, okay? The world is becoming a very similar place. I know there's lots of differences left in the world. I'm not trying to make this all the same. But there's a bigger difference between me and my friends. I mean, a, a much smaller difference, sorry. There's a much smaller difference between me and my friends that live in Mexico now than between me and my friends that live in the Bible, like Jesus, who says weird stuff, you know, how he's thinking, totally different. So, some people think that, you know, and, and this, is, this is kind of how we think today, that stuff that happened a long time ago is primitive, undeveloped. Oh, they didn't, you know, you might say about someone a long time ago, oh, they didn't know any better. But we know better. Do you ever, do you ever have that thought kind of creeping in your mind? Just kind of automatically. I'm in the 21st century. Life is better now. Humanity knows more now. I think that sometimes. It's okay if you think that. I think it's one of the scripts that we get. But let's just let the historical context of this weird thing that Jesus is saying be at least just one of the things that kind of gets you out of feeling not holy. All right? Gets you off the hook. So that next time you're reading the Bible and it's like, you know, Jesus, why does you guys do that thing? Just, oh, oh, oh. Maybe it's that historical context thing that Ben was talking about. Like, this could be really good for you not to just, like, not mess with the Bible at all. It, this is your get-out-of-jail-free card for when you're feeling like you should be in jail for being a dum-dum or a not-holy person or a confused person. It's a totally different historical context. And you know what? I don't even think you have to study it. I'm not even going to talk about the historical context that much. Okay? I, I don't want to teach you the history. I just want to get you off the hook so you can experience the story in a different way. So that you don't just get uh, pegged as not getting it. I want you to get over that. Like literary coaches that teach are teaching children how to read, I'm told they uh, 
they'll, they'll, they'll tell kids, like, you just keep reading the story. You know, like, if you don't know, like, a big word, they, they used to tell me, like, oh, get a dictionary and, like, look it up. But my, my, my friends that are literary coaches now, they tell me, just, like, kind of get the best of it. You can, you can just, like, kind of get the best sense of it based on the context and, like, come back to it later. Because they're trying to teach the kids to experience the story. Trying to keep, teach the kid, just keep going. It's okay. And if you really want to learn your vocabulary, just jot it down and look it up later. Don't don't get don't get into this like dictionary mode while you're in story mode. Keep going because they want to. They, they're trying to create readers, trying to create people that that experience the written word in some visceral way. That's what a, that's what a, a literary coach is sometimes doing, especially like a. a uh, maybe a, a freshman English teacher. You know, there's all kinds of words that they're giving us these books. We don't know what these vocabulary words are. Eh, you can kind of get it. You you get the gist of it, and and we'll get back to the vocabulary later. So um, this is kind of like that when when Jesus says something that just is like, Ugh, you don't have to stop. Okay, you don't have to figure the whole Bible out every time you read it. So if there's something that just kind of overwhelms you, and it's like, I don't know about that, it's okay not to know. Write it down or something, and keep going in the story. Because the bigger story actually unlocks some of the keys to what Jesus is talking about. The whole story of Luke reads a lot like a novel. You know, read it in one sitting one time. It's 24 chapters. If you're reading it, and you read slow like me, it'll take you a few hours. But one thing that I've been doing recently that I've really liked and I recommend to you is I've been listening to the Bible on like YouTube or a podcast. They have people just reading the Bible and I listen to it at 1.5 speed. So it's like really fast. So I can listen to the whole book of Luke in like an hour and 15 minutes. And I just get like, <sighs> I get like on the roller coaster of Luke because it is a roller coaster. This passage happens within the context of a whole chapter, Luke 14. Yeah, I do have power, nice. It's all, and this chapter is all about reversal. Jesus is way into doing what people do not expect. He's breaking rules, healing the man with dropsy on the Sabbath. This is happening in Luke 14. He heals someone he's not supposed to heal. Um, at, at the beginning of it. Then he's dismantling hierarchy and reciprocity of honor-shame culture, especially Roman. I told you I wasn't going to talk about historical context. There's a little piece, a little piece you can look it up later. You know, don't, he, he tells him, don't sit at the head of the table. Wait to be elevated. Have you ever heard Jesus say that before? This is where it's happening in Luke 14. Don't sit at the head of the table. Move, wait to be elevated by the host. And then he's telling this, this story, right before this, he's telling a story that, that messes with, with where people are getting their worth. A Lord throws this big dinner party. This is the story that Jesus tells right before this. Throws this big dinner party, and all the people that are supposed to come have an excuse not to come, so he invites all the people that aren't supposed to come, and they come. And it's this whole reversal of what is expected. All the poor and the, the lame and the undesirable are included. And so if you read something like this passage right there in stark black and white, just by itself, you know, oh, that is spicy, Jesus. I don't want to eat that. That is way too spicy. Um, but if you put it in the context of what Jesus is doing, 
right in the inside of Luke 14, okay, it has something to do with the larger story, at least. And when you get it involved in what's, what's going on around it, instead of just getting stuck on the one thing, hating your mom and your dad and your wife and your... What, what I think is going on is something about the supposed tos that are, are running who we are. Jesus comes to undo them and mess with them. He's just messing with stuff in this whole chapter. Everything that you expect, he's reversing. And so now he says this thing about your own family and even your own life. And that, too, is getting messed with. And I think that that context kind of grays it out a little bit. See how I kind of faded the words there on the screen? Because now it's not so stark black and white. Now it's not like Jesus is telling us, yo, hate your mom. Do that. You know, like, that's not that's not what he's doing. He's, he's telling some stories, and he's trying to do something that that disrupts your expectations. All the supposed tos, they need to be questioned, apparently. Everything that runs who you are might need to be transformed. He's reversing, and it's kind of whack. You know, it's really, it's really a big reversal to say, okay, well, all right, I don't, yeah, I, I, I'm into the lame and the poor, being included at the fancy dinner. I like that. That sounds good. Oh, but this hating my own life stuff, hmm, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> and I think, here's the thing. That's the point. You're not supposed to be so sure about this. He's trying to mess you up. So when you get messed up by Jesus saying something that is messed up, you're getting the point. You're right there, okay? Let's, do, let's go a little further. More, more context, because I think context is what's going to be my main point about what's going to help you when you get these spicy meatballs thrown right at your face from Jesus. A big section of Luke, uh, like one-third of the book, is the Lucan travel narrative. And you can figure this out. Lucan, that's an adjective form of Luke, makes me sound like I'm a biblical scholar. I just gave it to you. It's that easy. Uh, um, so, the Lucan travel narrative, it starts in uh, Luke 9.51, and it goes like this. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And then, one-third of the book happens, and then the last third of the book is the last week of his life, where he's dying and rising from the dead. And then the first third of the book, those first nine chapters, they're just the setup. The book is kind of split into these things. Um, it's And it's kind of like Jesus is literally a walking contradiction in these chapters 9 through, or 10 through 17, this middle third of the book, the Lucan travel narrative. He's just walking around contradicting stuff, messing stuff up, making everyone question all the things, all the supposed to's. And one of the biggest things is, like right here at the at the the... You know, the second third of the book is beginning, and he's going to die. You know, spoilers. He's going to die, and he's supposed to be the Messiah. He's supposed to be the one that's going to save all Israel. He's supposed to be the one that's going to deliver us from uh, the empire. And yet he's going to die, and we know that already. So even who he is, his what he's supposed to be, is, is, is reversed too. Messiah who dies, 
Dude, you are a contradiction. So, now we kind of have a bigger idea of what's going on in the bigger drama of Luke's novel about Jesus. Let's go back to the immediate context, because there's a line right before this, this kind of stark, austere line about hating people. And it says, Now large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So my question is, what is Jesus trying to do? He turns to these people who are following him, and he gives them this just impossible thing. What what are they supposed to do with that? Just join them in that moment, following after this guy who's doing all kinds of miracles, really exciting, going to overthrow the empire, going to be the one who saves us, and then he gives me this. What am I supposed to do with that? I think that Jesus is doing more than just making us feel good. And it's on purpose. He's actually, I think, can Jesus make us feel bad on purpose? I don't know. That's, a, that's another question. But I think he's actually trying to, he's trying to weed some things out here. This is what I think he's trying to do. He knows he's going to die. And he's trying to make a movement that survives his death. Their leader is going to get killed. He's telling them about it for the past forever. And they're not listening. So he's going to need to tell them something that's going to rattle them a little bit. Hey, are you listening? You have to hate your mom. To hate your dad. Are you listening even your life? Your brother and sister, your wife. No. That's, that's, it's not about just how you've done things, the way you're organized, who you are, your most essential selfhood. Even that. I'm going to mess with it. I'm not sure, I'm not sure that you're, your answers about life should be answers. you got to put question marks behind those things and say, well, should I do everything that I've always done? But then also, Jesus, he's not into playing the celebrity. He's not just going to be the, the person that everyone can project on and love. He's actually trying to make something. He doesn't want to be a famous person. Like, okay, you want to get with me? Here's the real deal. And you know he does this all the time. It's not just Luke where he's messing with people. He says stuff like this all the time. When people start to get like, it's kind of just fanfare about Jesus, he messes them up. He doesn't want just easy disciples. He doesn't want people that are just going to go for the party, go along because that's what people are doing. He wants people that are going to survive his death and make a church that creates a movement that arrives in Pensacola, New Jersey. He wanted us, and he had to do some, some serious business to make us. And we are the fruit of Jesus' harsh words, so we can be thankful that he weeded out the people that we're just going to fake on him later. I think that's what he's doing. Another example, in, in, in John 6, Jesus gets, again, real, uh, real kind of nasty, real kind of spicy. What are you doing, Jesus? He says, very truly I tell you. He tells this to a big crowd of people. Same, very similar situation. He just fed 5,000 people. He just walked on water, and the disciples told people about it. And he says to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. You need to be a cannibal. What do you think of that? 
On hearing this, many of the disciples said, this is our our teaching. Who can accept it? And then aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Oh, does this offend you? No, he's not so snarky. And it, but then from the, and then a couple of verses later, from this time, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They weren't ready to get with Jesus for Jesus. Jesus, you know, I can't help but think that Jesus is messing with them. Okay, no, you're not. You have to be. You have to be ready to go with me. I need people who are ride or die. You know, I need people that are going to be with me in this and are in it for the love of me. It is about me. It's not about you. I'm doing something, and I want you to do the something that I'm doing now. I want you to do it after I die, after I rise from the dead, and I and I leave you to be here on the earth. I'm trying to make a church. I'm trying to make a movement. Jesus is preparing his people to go through thick and thin, and it's going to get thin pretty quick here. Can you imagine, then, a cause that's worth hating your mom and dad and even your own life? Matt was saying earlier, well, teenagers are awesome at this. I hate you. My seven-year-old has said that to me. You know, he's great at following Jesus. No, it's not, it's not really about that. It's about reorienting your, your selfhood. Like the way you think. You know, you can't think the way you don't think. Yeah, that's true. So you're kind of stuck until Jesus messes with you enough until you let him do some serious transformation. You can't just go with the status quo and the way that the the world has organized you to think. You actually have to change. So if Jesus were walking around in in our day and age, you know, and, and using the means of communication that we're accustomed to, I think that Jesus would love memes. Okay? Because memes are all about like the surprise, the gotcha the reversal, the reiteration of the thing. Oh, take this thing over here and like juxtapose it with this thing and now it's saying something really interesting and and, and arresting, alarming, weird, you know? So my, my friends post this kind of meme all the time. It's like, what would you, um, you know, if, if, if you got X, you know, what would you, what, what would you do if like, you know, you were going to get a date with Drake, you know? If Drake were going to give you a date, um, what would you do? And, and it's like, oh, yeah, I would totally, I would do whatever to get a, a date with Drake. More common with money. So, like, um, you know, like, would you slap your mom for a million dollars? And every, and everyone's just like, yep. And they, like, come up with funny things as to why they would slap their mom. You know, like, if you, like, or I, I couldn't find a mom one that I really like, but I really like this one. Oh, look, I had that up there. Remember that? I said that. Um, this one. Would you slap this kid for $88 million? He's so adorable. He's got a bow tie. He doesn't wear a shirt, but he has his fenders. Would you slap this kid for $88 million? Annie says no. She's got a true soul. Um, but the joke is, yeah, that's E-Honda doing the 100 hand slap, you know, from Street Fighter, you know. Yeah, I'm going to slap that kid for $88 million. What if there was something besides money? What if there was something besides $88 million that's going to motivate you to do something that's just totally outside of how you think? It's wrong to slap that child. But for $88 million? 
guys, I might slap a kid. I re- we really need $88 million. What could we do? And who is this benefactor that's giving me $88 million? You know, if, I, if, 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 if the maniacal, like, evil genius that has $88 million to give away for this stupid thing, I need to take the money from him. He doesn't need to have it. I should have it because I'm going to do better with it. You know, I'm, this is how I'm going to rationalize this thing. You know, I'm going to change how I think. What is my basic sense of decency and love and compassion and I'm going to abuse a child. What, what besides money is going to change you like that? And this is, this is what we're imagining. What besides money has the power to change you? And Jesus wants to be it. Jesus wants to be the thing, the person, the, the movement that he made. He wants that to be the thing that reorients you enough to think differently, to throw aside Everything, including what you think about how you should relate to your parents. No, I don't think you have to hate them. He, 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 he confirms that you should honor your father and mother in another part of the gospel. But you do have to bring him up above them. And that's a really hard thing to do. Because you really do love them. It's like an animal connection that you have with your, with your parents. Some people want to hate their mother and they can't. You know, because of all the things that she did to them. But she's my mom. You know? People have these psychological just knots that they live with in their head because of this connection that they have. Jesus wants to reorient us completely. And we really need it because we're stuck in thinking that doesn't work. But if you're satisfied with the way you're thinking, don't be shoulded on by this passage. Don't should on yourself. Don't should. If you're satisfied with the way that you're thinking and it's working for you and your life is, is good, fine. Stick with your thinking. But I am stuck. And I think a lot of you might feel the way I do. I am stuck in a lot of ways of thinking that I don't like and don't satisfy me. And I want to think a different way. And these kind of arresting passages that Jesus gives us, that's what he's doing to us. And if it's confusing... And if you don't know what to do, and you're mad at him, and you just want to throw the book across the room, so be it. Do that. Stay engaged. Don't just skip over it. Don't bliss yourself out. Don't ice yourself out. Isolate yourself from from what Jesus is saying. Let it get at you. Let it get into you to change you. And it's it's that kind of difficult process that requires this, like, spicy, spicy meatball about hating your mom and dad. What are you trying to say? It must be different. So here's my, my um, summary before I close here. We need to appreciate the story of the gospel when we come across these difficult passages. And everyone's going to have something difficult. This is one that's universally difficult. Everyone's like, what? There are other passages that are going to be difficult just because of your own story. And what, what you know, it might be hitting you in a way. It's like, I don't know what to do with that. You don't have to stay just on the little part that's, that's hurting you. Go for the whole story. See if, see if you can appreciate the whole thing, and then maybe some of it sorts together better. Go for a bigger picture when you get stuck on a little thing in Scripture. Appreciate the story. Read for the context. You have this capacity. You were taught it in English class in school. You actually have to put... You, have, you do have to think the way you do think. You know, you have to try. It doesn't... It, it, we're, we're talking to aliens, remember. They live in the first century. It's not easy. 
And yes, be surprised, be confused, be curious, be mad. Feel your feels with Jesus. He's, he's here. And, and, and you'll see what comes up. See what comes up. Be ready that Jesus is actually going to show up in your questions. I don't have all the answers here for you. But Jesus is here with us to give you the answers. So, I think it's worth it. I do. I do. I'm not satisfied with the way that I think. I'm not satisfied with all my answers. I want to keep asking the questions. And I'm inviting you to do that too. But go at your own speed. And, uh, and I think that it will be fine. But I think it's, it's pretty hard even sometimes to know if we're satisfied. That's a difficult question. Might be the wrong question. Give us the right ones, Lord. Speak to us now. Whatever's rattling around inside of us, be there next to us in it. Especially if it hurts. Bless us as we persevere in this conversation. Help us to enjoy it. Give us the freedom, the license to engage with our full selves with you. And thank you that you're here with us, encouraging us and giving us more insight than is humanly possible. We ask for that now and as we continue in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.